0: Life, if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you, you'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. The Midianites encamped in the valley. Verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssinites gathered behind him. So we see a one, two, three series of events happening in order here. The enemy came to attack, the Holy Spirit came to empower, which caused Gideon to act. Here comes the enemy. Holy Spirit says, Flame on. Remember this order. I want to say something. You do not act if God has not given you the green light. You don't act. If God hadn't given you the green light, I've seen guys charge into things. I'm just going to go do it. They never prayed. They never asked God, God, do you want me to do this? They never asked for provision. They never asked for protection. I've seen guys go up saying, I'm called to be a pastor. And they weren't. And it turned out really bad. And they charge in and they damage themselves and other people. You don't act if God has not given you the green light. But if God does give you the green light, you do not sit there, get up, and go do it. Don't act without the green light and don't act before it. So now Gideon has himself in position and he's ready with a lot of Abizurites behind him. Now, who are these people? The Abizurites were the members of Gideon's clan. That was Gideon's own people in his own little clan right there that both he and his father belonged to. Now, isn't it awesome how God has saved Gideon from being killed, from knocking down the false idol? His father Joash has now turned and now look the whole clan is behind him. Now how many people have we got? I don't know. We can't count them. <laughs> it Started with one guy. Now 10 came. Now dad turned. Now here's the whole clan. And you remember when God first called Gideon? Gideon says, I'm the least in my father's house and I'm from the smallest clan. God has got the smallest clan going out to do the work. God kind of likes doing that sort of thing. It's like a David and Goliath scenario. I'll take the smallest guy against the biggest enemy, and you watch what goes down. It's going to confuse everybody. (laughs) But that's how God's glorified. Isn't it awesome? Judges 6 and 36. Then Gideon said to God, if you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I will know that you will deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. And it was so when he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he drained the dew from the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not let your anger burn against me, that I may speak once more. Please let me make a test once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, and let there be dew on all the ground. God did so that night, for it was dry only on the fleece and dew was on all the ground. I just I just love it because you know you can experience things like this in your life too and you're like, wow, look at God go. But you know, it seems kind of strange here that Gideon would still ask for a sign. I mean again, it's like he already asked for a sign and God burned up the uh, the offering on the rocks. So and now he's asking for a sign again. And you know when you're reading and you're looking at these people's lives in a fishbowl, you're like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Guys, I want to ask you a question. Do you ask for God's encouragement every day? I do. What's wrong with Gideon for asking for this? I need God's encouragement every day. I wake up every day going, God, help keep me going. I woke up this morning. I didn't feel good. Honestly, part of me didn't want to come here, but I know I had to do it and I had to pray it out. God, I need your encouragement. I need your assurance. Help me. This is is what I see here with Gideon. That's what he's asking. I need God's Encouragement daily. The enemy will always tell you that you can't do it, that you're not good enough. And if you listen to him for more than two seconds, you'll start believing him. You ever been there? You'll start saying, Yeah, I'm not good enough. I you know, like when I first got called to ministry, but Lord, I can't speak like all these great pastors do. I can't do that. Well, who says you got to sound like everybody else? Get up there and belt it out, man. So that's what I'm doing. So Gideon's having some doubts here. I think we can read between the lines here and realize that since the Midianites are encamped, they're ready to launch their attack, their yearly attack that has always worked every year, that Satan is really mounting up some serious warfare on Gideon, and he's got Gideon going, "Uh uh-oh, and now Gideon's asking for a sign. All right, here they are. Oh, now Gideon's like, I need a sign. I need a sign. This morning, I woke up. Lord, (laughs) I'm going to go speak to your people. Help me. I'm not faulting Gideon for this. Let's not fault Gideon for asking for another sign with the, f- the fleece. He's not testing God in that he's not sure what God's will is. Gideon is well aware of what God's will is because God already told him, you're going to do this. Okay? That's no problem. He remembers what God told him in verse 14. He said, you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Gideon is asking for this new sign because he wants God's assurance. And he, he wants the assurance of God's empowerment for the battle that's about to go down. I think all of us do this. When we approach our own battles, we get down in a posture of prayer and say, God, I need your assurance. Help me. That's what I believe Gideon's doing. And guess what? It's okay to do that. Don't feel like there's something wrong if you get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm about to go do it again, man. Help me. I need, I need help. Don't feel like there's anything wrong with that. It's okay. And you should do it. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't forget to do it. And so as Gideon had asked, the dew is in the fleece, but not on the floor. Now, when I read this, I kind (laughs) of, I got to thinking, Gideon probably realized that fleece naturally holds water. (laughs) I asked for it, he's like, I asked for it to hold water the first time. And he's like, wait a minute, that's that's what would normally happen. And so um, he probably figured out it's not that much of a sign to ask for fleece to hold water, because that's probably what's going to happen anyway. It's not really demonstrating anything here. So he restated his request to get another sign that worked exactly the opposite way that things would naturally occur. Make the fleece dry and the floor wet. It's like, "God, sorry, I kind of I kind of misstated that. Can we do it the other way around this time?" <laughs> and God honored that. And that's the way it went down. And so again, God answered his request and this time the fleece was dry while the ground was wet. What we see here is that God is working patiently. With Gideon. The enemy's outside, they're about ready to get us. God's being patient with Gideon. He's working to give him confidence and encouragement. And, you know, that's what I want you to leave with here today. I want you to leave with realizing to consider how patient God is with us, how patient He is. You know how long it took for God to wake me up? I'm telling you, it was September 11th before I finally got it, the day. You know, I kind of had a concept of God, and I kind of felt like I should be doing something, but I didn't get it until September 11th, and I was in my 30s by then. And it's like, man, God waited a long time for me. How long has He been waiting on you? Okay, but He's also going to work you up in your encouragement. Don't expect to be, you know, Mr. Olympia overnight. God will work with you in that. Let Him have His time. It's okay. Well, maybe God wants me to do more than I'm doing Take it easy. Don't get ahead of that green light. Slow down. let God work with you, you'll get there. OK? I just want to be assured of His peace, His power and His presence. Like he told Gideon, "I'm going to be with you. Don't worry." And Gideon's like, "Can I have some assurance today. Man, there's a big enemy out there." God says, "Here you go, buddy. We need to be assured of His presence. Psalm 46 and 1 says, "God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. You got trouble? Okay, he's very present. (laughs) That's what it basically says. (laughs) No, I've got trouble. And all you see is the trouble because that's all your mind is focused on. I want you to leave with this verse that when you've got your most trouble, he is very present and he is your strength and your refuge. Refuge is a cover take faith in the Lord God. Don't get so hung up on what's being torn down or what could happen or oh my gosh. Concentrate on the Lord being there. So I hope this sounds very encouraging to you, but let's be real about the order here. I'm going to go back to the order of things before we close out. You can't have the Lord's presence unless you first tear down the altars of false gods. I'm sorry, you know, there's people, "Oh no, I'm saved even though I have my sin over here." uh. No. Got to tear those altars down. You can't have the, the Lord's presence unless you first tear down the altars. That's the first thing that God had Gideon do first. He didn't have him face the Midianites first, then we'll tear down the altar later. The tearing down of the altar came number one. The first step to being saved, if you're an unsaved person, the first step to being saved is you've got to realize your sin is a problem, and you've got to tear down those false altars. They have to go. It is an act of repentance. Now, there are many people that have declared Jesus as their Lord. Oh, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. They still got those altars up. Big problem. Big problem. They refuse to tear down their altars because they love their false gods. Let's just be as bluntly honest as possible. That's what I'm going to do right here. I'm going to, because I don't have time to go into elaborate explanation. I'll boil it down to one, one thing. There is no such thing as a non-repentant salvation. There's not. You cannot get to church if you don't leave your house. You can't get to Jesus unless you repent and turn. It has to happen in that order. I want you to take notice of the series of events now with a verse so that we can apply it to our spiritual life. In 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What comes first? Godly sorrow. Repentance comes second, then from repentance you get to salvation. It's in that order. Salvation does not come before repentance, and repentance does not come before godly sorrow. What's godly sorrow? Godly sorrow is what Israel felt the pressure of their oppression, the pressure of walking in sin that really has beat them up, and they finally called out to God. That's what godly sorrow is. People who feel terrible about their sin, that's godly sorrow. Today, people don't feel bad about sin. They just don't. What's going on in our culture is what God's word says is sin. That's not sin anymore because we've redefined it. It's okay now. You can march in the street with it. You can do whatever you want to do. It's all right. They have no godly sorrow. And they have come to believe that sin is a right, and that it's okay. Sin is not okay. It never is. And if your sin has not caused godly sorrow in you at all, then you'll never come to step two. You'll never come to repentance. You've never felt that sorrow. You'll never come to repentance. You'll never obey God in tearing those false altars down. And if you never come to repentance, then you'll never, never, ever be led to salvation. It has an order. This is not my opinion. I've shown you in God's Word. Repentance comes before salvation. It's first. If you've never had godly sorrow for your sin, and if you won't repent, and if you won't repent, you'll not be saved. I know there's many people that don't agree with this because they don't want to repent. They like their sin. They're holding on to it. They enjoy it. And they have all these excuses why they get to keep it but here's your verse. And this is the verse that scared the literal hell out of me. And I'm going to show it to you. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many. Does it say few? No, it doesn't. It says many. I'm thinking this is probably the majority here. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Oh, look at this. They're calling him Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. To imagine, I see you shuddering, it should. To imagine the Lord telling people, get out of here. I didn't know you. Go away. That's going to be a tough day on some people. That's going to be the toughest day of their existence we have to realize that God told Gideon to take down the altar before the Midianites came to attack. You need to get people turning and the people are not going to turn and repent and be empowered in the Lord until that altar comes down first. This is the importance of this order. If Gideon had refused to tear down that altar, then by the time the Midianites had showed up, he couldn't be empowered to take them on. He had to tear that altar down first. God would not have given him assurance of victory through the fleece. What this means is that walking in God's victory comes after, after you tear down the false altars. Not before. After repentance. Do you see the order that I'm trying to emphasize here? Jesus himself spoke of this proper order in Mark 1.15. He said, repent. Oh, see that first? Repent and believe in the gospel. In verse 25, when God said, cut down the wooden image and build an altar on top of this rock, that word rock was another word for stronghold. What is a stronghold? Well, it's something that has a stronghold on you. (laughs) A stronghold. This is why many people won't repent because their sin has such a strong hold on them. They don't want the Lord's strength to hold them. They want their sin to hold them. That's the problem. And so because uh, Gideon obeyed the Lord and tore down the altar first, now he's in a position to fight victoriously with God's assurance. There's some people that are like, I don't see God's assurance in my life. I wish I had God's assurance. I wish I had the victory. Maybe there's some things you need to repent of. Maybe you're not activated for the victories you could be having because you won't let go of that death grip clutch you have on some sinful thing that God said, get away from that. Order order. Friend, if you refuse to tear down the altar of false gods in your life, you can never experience the victory of God. Don't be deceived. Those who will not repent, they will be told, depart from me for I never knew you. And I do not want that to happen to you. Whether you're in this room or you hear me on the radio or whatever, whoever you are, you need to repent. If you want God to be with you, you need to make him Lord. Basically, to make Jesus Lord means he is now the boss. That means what he says goes. What he tells you to do takes priority over what you want to do. He's the boss. And if he says repent of sin, I advise you to repent. That day's coming. Tens of thousands of people step over the line into eternity every day, and they had no idea it was their turn. And I'm giving you the gospel message today so that you can be aware and you can do something about it so you don't hear that depart from me. You can instead hear. Welcome. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want you to hear. That depends on you. I, I, I gave you a dark one. Oh, depart from me, I'm scared. Let me, let me turn it back around. Deuteronomy 31:6: "Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. You ever feel alone? Oh yeah. you hold on to that verse. God is with you. Bank on it. In Judges 6, it all started with Gideon, and look at how many people caught on. Isn't that good? How many people caught this repentance and said, yeah, and now they're going the right way with God's assurance, and they're about to have a victory against the Midianites. Do you want victory like that? Then you leave that old sin behind. You leave those false gods alone, and you get away from them. You kick them out. You tear them down. You burn them up. Everything that Gideon did, you do the same thing. It all started with Gideon why not let repentance start with us? How's about it? Repentance start with us. If you want God's victory in your life, you got to tear down some altars. God worked patiently with Gideon. This shows us that God is willing to work patiently with you too. He does this so that you can have his peaceful assurance. And I want you to always remember, you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. If I could have Mike and Hank real quick, get the uh, communion elements to pass out, we're going to remember for a moment here before we leave what the Lord has done for us when He died on the cross. It was a new covenant. Covenants are always instituted by blood. That means something else, someone else had to pay for it. In this communion, we are reminded that the Lord God Himself, Jesus, He paid for this salvation. It's easy for us, but it was very hard for Him because He had to go through crucifixion. Separation from the Father. And so we remember that today by taking a Passover. This is a Passover. And in Passover, we remember that the judgment, the spirit of judgment that came to kill and destroy those who would not be uh, believers, were all killed and destroyed. But those who had the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, he would pass over and spare them. And so this communion is actually a Passover to remind us that if you have the blood of Jesus on you, his judgment passes over you. Very thankful for that. I'm reflecting here that the Lord did this communion that night before he was to die. He was going to go through a trial that was unfair, and he knew it before he went into it. It was going to be an unfair trial, full of lies with witnesses that didn't agree with each other. The cards were stacked against him. And in this world today, the cards are stacked against you too. But the Lord goes with you. And in, in upcoming chapters, we're going to see Midianites. the Midianites getting defeated by Gideon with the smallest clan. That could be a picture of you too. Don't worry about your size and your might and your stature and your money and this, that, and the other. The Lord goes with you. Luke 22 and 14, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the body to remember what the Lord has done for us. Verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, which is a promise, the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. We have seen shed blood and and Passover in the same passage, which means you have the blood of Jesus on you, his judgment will pass over. Let's take this to remember. Father God, we thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for this passage, um, this Judges 6 that you empowered Gideon, the guy that said, I probably can't do this, Lord God. I can't do it. I'm too small. But you working through him did a lot. And look at all the people that are changing in order. Tear down the altar. Then you can walk in the victory. Lord, I ask you for anyone here who is struggling with their confidence and their assurance of peace through you, anybody that hears me on the radio, That is struggling with, I'm too small, I'm not good enough, I can't do it. That they stop listening to the enemy, they start listening to your word that says, You can't, but I can. And that we listen to you. Tear down the altars. Lord, help your people identify what the altars even are. Sometimes in our sin, because we're the sinner, we don't recognize what the altars even are. Lord, once you show us what the altar is, tell us. How to tear it down. And we thank you, Lord God, that when we turn, others catch that and they'll walk with us. And Lord, it's a walk that we never want to get back out of again. Lord, I ask you to bless the people who've heard this message today. Empower them with your Holy Spirit, Lord God. There are people, Lord God, that have been calling their sin as being okay. Show them that there's something very wrong with that and bring them to repentance. Let the godly sorrow bring them to repentance, Lord God. They've been under pressure long enough set them free may that pressure bring them to repentance so that they can now be led to salvation and turn and leave those those false gods alone and tear down their altars and build a new altar to you lord god in the place where that one was i pray for lord, lord god for anybody who hears this they tear down the altar And now in their heart, they put up a new altar. Lord, I now believe in you. Lord God, I now put my faith and my trust in you. You are now my Lord. I give you all of myself. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could be saved. Because you paid a debt I could never afford. Thank you, Lord God. I accept it. I follow you. I'm leaving those false gods behind. In Jesus' name, amen.